You are listening to a message from Mosaic Knox. For more information about our church, visit mosaicknox.org. What's good, y'all? Can you hear me? Uh, we're Susan. I Dang it, I was going to do this whole thing like, look what I got. Uh, for those of y'all who don't know, I was sniffing like a dog last time. And so I brought these just in case. I wanted to let y'all know y'all are catching me on the weekend after my birthday. If you thought I, 23 years old, yeah. If you thought I was insufferable then, just wait for this Jordan here, you know what I'm saying? So, but um, yeah, I'm excited to be here with y'all. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back. If there's anyone new, my name's Aru. Uh, that rhymes, that was kind of cute. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, stories of sacrifice tug at our heartstrings and for good reason, right? They illustrate the journeys of people who have chosen to risk and oftentimes lose their lives on behalf of many. These people may be self-appointed citizens looking to lessen the violence in their neighborhoods, or they could be already recognized heroes called on to eliminate global threats. Whoever they are, though, their sole belief is that the safety and peace of humanity are so essential that the preservation of their own lives is a reprehensible thought if their sacrifice could prevent upcoming damage. I think we are so moved by stories of sacrifice because of a lot of us are in tune with our own cowardice. And it makes us feel shameful when courage feels like a far cry from us. We want to believe that self-absorption is not an issue for us and that unhindered comfort is an easy thing to renounce. But when there's that unburned fuel in the exhaust system of a pickup truck and you hear a loud bang coming from a tailpipe that sounds like a gun, the reaction to run away with the shriek of a howler monkey, yes, that's happened to me several times, shows how we are conditioned to self-protect. Our hearts are not bent toward losing because we are not confident that there is anything to gain by doing so. Another reason stories of sacrifice speak to us is because we yearn to be the recipients of heroic action, right? For some of you, the comfort of luxury and the privilege of self-absorption may have never been accessible. Danger was all you knew. A wrong look and a tired tone ignited the anger of your abuser, and no one knew, no one who knew what was happening was able or willing to jump into that fire with you. Maybe no one knew, which enlarges the loneliness and the heartache. A hero is exactly what you needed. Not having a hero able and willing to step into our brokenness and hurts is bound to make us yearn for relief in whatever ways possible. And our passage today, it speaks to us of a hero who set up himself to be the good shepherd. In other words, our hero. The type of person many of us wish to become but have struggled to due to a fear and a love of pleasure. And also the type of person many of us wish we had met in the tumultuous times of our own lives. Jesus is this good shepherd. The one who promises to lay down his life for the sheep. And he is the one whose heart is bent toward losing because he knows there is much to gain in doing so. In John 10, 17, he says, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. He had a confidence that his sacrifice would do so much good. And he believed we, the sheep, were worth dying for. The point of my sermon today is that Jesus is a shepherd worth being loved by. We're going to look at four ways Jesus relates to us as our shepherd. And we'll reflect on how believing this can lead us into safety amid difficulty. 
The first way Jesus relates to us as a shepherd is through his compassion. My first point is this. Jesus is a compassionate shepherd. If we're not careful, I think we can run into the danger of reducing Jesus' death on the cross to a mere example of martyrdom. Thinking this way entirely dismisses Jesus' choice in and plan for his death. Don't get me wrong. In in many ways, Jesus' death on the cross mirrors what has happened to martyrs in the past. The Roman world Jesus lived in made it hard for those who would rebuke uh, the men who abused their power. Anyone who disrupted the priorities of the empire would be killed. Jesus was executed. He was martyred, but that was not all. He was not only a victim of pitiful state violence. His death was a voluntary decision rooted in a deep love and compassion for us, his sheep. Romans 5.8 says this, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The language of Christ's death here shows that death was not something merely that happened to him. He actively chose this route for us. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus anticipated his death. He wasn't blindsided by the betrayal of Judas, his arrest in the garden, or the denial of Peter. He was prepared for the worst because he knew his divine love and compassionate sacrifice would protect his sheep from a world where evil threatened to eternally rule the cosmos. And it offered no relief to those searching for it. Matthew 9.36 says this, one of my favorite verses. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. You see, sheep are vulnerable animals. They're often hunted and at risk of death without the intervention of someone stronger and wiser than them. This stronger and wiser person would be the shepherd. The ancient Eastern world was familiar with shepherding, which is why we see so many examples of shepherds in the Old Testament. Stories of David killing the lion and the bear perfectly demonstrate this commitment of shepherds to divert any threats that come for their flock. Jesus' heart is bent toward encouraging and restoring the souls of the harassed by protecting them as shepherds. In context, Jesus is calling himself a shepherd in contrast to those who are supposed to be so. The religious and political leaders of the day. The ones who were called to use their power to serve, but for some of them, they found it more suitable to benefit from status and honors and flaunting their knowledge rather than defending their flock when in harm's way. And when he was angry about the religious hypocrisy, my bad, he was surrounded by, Jesus said, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. But you are not to be called rabbi, because you have one teacher and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father, because you have one father who is in heaven. You are not to be called instructors either, because you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus, as our shepherd, never puts anything on our backs that he's never carried himself. And that he's not willing to carry with us when we have our own burdens. That's because he's a good shepherd. 
who is frustrated by the sin of indifference, many of his time, and even many leaders in our day today, right, exhibit when hardship is thrown upon the vulnerable of society, the sheep, the marginalized. The last thing sheep need are shepherds that talk about solidarity and offering help, but don't show it. As Psalm 23 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Though the rod and staff has been understood to be a corrective instrument for sheep when they go astray and get themselves in trouble due to not listening to their shepherd. It was also an instrument to wrap around the bodies of the sheep when they got trapped in thickets or other unfortunate places. Unfortunately for some of us, the rod has not been a sign of comfort. The rod has been an instrument for some seasoned Christians in local churches for chastising and maligning. But this is what I love about the compassion of Jesus. It's so vast, it's so wide, and it's so multi-layered. And while his comforting staff may not always make us comfortable, it's always meant to keep us safe. That's what shepherds do, right? They protect us. While the pastors we roam in don't seem that green, he's still somehow always at work in providing for us when our resources are sparse, all the while leading us to the restorative waters he so desires for us to drink from. This is what it means for Jesus to be a shepherd and not a hireling. His compassion has an interest in our material well-being. This is why he's so hard on leaders who are committed to perpetuating conditions that make it impossible for the poor and vulnerable to even have a chance at success. These men treated their sheep like they weren't their own. But Jesus never, he never does this to his sheep. He doesn't just look at a homeless person on Broadway and say, oh yeah, he did that to himself. Or to a foster kid who has been through a lot of trauma and tossed around from home to home and say, yep, this kid's damage is irreparable and it's on her or him to fix themselves. Or to drug addicts who have known nothing but domestic violence for a decade and he does not say, I can't understand why these people would medicate over getting real help. Jesus' compassion is so driven by love that he steps into the lives of these who have been brokenhearted and he sets a table for us to share our concerns and tears with him. Now he may acknowledge and show us where we've gone wrong and where we've sinned, but he has no desire to lead us into shame because of those missteps. He wants us to find shelter in him. K.J. Ramsey, in her book, The Lord is My Courage, writes about what we tired and battered people, a.k.a. the sheep, really desire at our core, and that is God himself. We often believe that what we want is the miracle or for the hurt to stop immediately. And those things are certainly of God. We should ask for healing. We should ask for a means of ways to get out of situations that are dangerous. But what we want to know more than that, that he can do things for us, is that the Lord is our shepherd. Not just someone who does some things for us. If we can look at all our deficiencies and see Jesus and understand that his desire is not for us to get our stuff together as sheep before we can come to him, we're that much closer to being profoundly impacted by a love that shapes how we care for the hurting and draws us further away from an attitude that believes we have all the answers to life and that we don't need Jesus. We can catch on to his gentle heart as shepherd and his ferocious commitment to protect his beloved. The religious leaders were so focused on exposing Jesus as a fraud in John 10 that they were unreceptive to his love and compassion for them. 
Their indifference and sins only increased as they attempted to refute Jesus' claims about himself and the miraculous things that he did which should have undeniably shown them that they too can experience his compassionate heart. But they refused his invitation, which revealed they were not his sheep. Ultimately, Jesus' love and compassion are sacrificial. In Uvalde, Texas, where 21 people were killed by a gunman, news has come out about the police's decision to wait 77 minutes before entering and killing the murderer. They just came out with a 77-page report about all the things today. But I'm not here to get into the conversation over what to do about gun violence right now. I'm wanting to talk about the decision to wait to interfere, especially when the officers were there in time to save some of the children and the two teachers. As more information comes out about the officers and the reports about communication problems and discoveries by camera that they didn't confront the guy, that they didn't even check to see if the doors were locked or barricaded, though they said they did, or about the special agent who pleaded with the officers for six minutes to go in and stop the madness, and the parents and officers crying outside for the horror to be stopped. I can't help but think how many lives could have been saved if the officers had interfered. I don't have any expertise when it comes to evaluating the behavior and strategy of law enforcement, and I have no intentions of projecting what I think their motives or fears were, but there seems to be something so off about standing outside for 77 minutes when they had the resources to stop the gunman soon after firing his first rounds. The safety of the vulnerable at this point was less important than the safety of the officers in the situation, unfortunately. And it is this extreme example why which Jesus contrasts himself with the hireling in John 10, 12, where he says, this hireling leaves the sheep and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Again, I'm not trying to say the officers didn't emotionally care about the well-being of the children. I, 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 I can't imagine that position. But at the end of the day, they didn't do what Jesus says a good shepherd does. Jesus runs into that room. That's what the cross was. God coming into our rooms of danger and deflecting the darts meant to kill us. One day, um, I was at the movie theater with my friend when I was in college, and a guy came in, and he sat next to me. I could already tell he was trouble, right? And uh, one of his rants to me happened during a trailer where an actor said to her partner, I'm your ride or die. A ride or die is someone who sticks with you through something no matter what you've done or said, even to the point of danger. After she said, I'm your ride or die, the guy looks next to me and says, That don't exist. He actually said an expletive, but I can't say that from here. He said, that don't exist. Do you know how many folks have gone to jail because their ride or die snitched on them for puffing just a little bit of marijuana and got five years in jail because of it? This is in the movie theater, y'all. He's just yelling this. And, but I was intrigued by his statement and question, and I was interested in his thoughts on mass incarceration. I was trying to watch a movie. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? However... I remembered this story as I was thinking about this sermon, and I couldn't help but reflect on the fact that Jesus is a ride or die that keeps his word. I know that's cheesy, but he is a ride or die that keeps his word. I love it in Philippians where it says he was obedient even to death on a cross. And in John where it says Jesus loved his disciples to the end. In Hebrews 12 where it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross 
Jesus is a shepherd worth being loved by because his compassion is not one that quits when your roughness around the edges persists. He endured this pain because he voluntarily lays down his life for us. And he's the only one who can do it in such a way where our salvation is secure. The shepherd is worth being loved by. The second way Jesus relates to us as shepherd is that he's intimate with his sheep. My second point, Jesus is an intimate shepherd. Jesus is the type of hero who is approachable and knows the names of all those he's kept safe. His familiarity with his sheep is impeccable. But that's only half of the story. Jesus in verse 14 communicates the expectation that his sheep know him as well. They know his voice. In Jesus' day, shepherds uh, led their flock differently than we do today. D.A. Carson, in one of his commentaries, he notes that shepherds today in modern times, they drive their sheep with dogs. But shepherds in the ancient East, they would lead their sheep by voice. And they would guide them that way. And they would call them by name. Their sheep would be familiar with that. And so um, this was very important for when one herd would get mixed up with another and there were too many sheep to sift through to get to each of your own. So the shepherd would call out and say, hey, Sean the sheep, I'm over here. And Sean would perk up his head immediately because he knew that voice and he would go over to his shepherd. But if another voice tried to call Sean that he didn't recognize, he wouldn't budge. I like to think of it this way. There's no way that Ben Walls could convince me that he was Joel Thomas on a prank call. (laughs) no matter how hard he tried i'm too familiar with both of their cadences and both of their vocabularies i'm not going to tell you which one's vocabulary is more exquisite you can (laughs) this is the type of relationship and intimacy jesus develops with his sheep there's an intimacy that is brought about by trust in our shepherd Until we see him as such, we miss the picture of his nearness to us. What makes us his sheep, though? Are all humans Christ's sheep? Well, throughout the book of John, the main priority of the author is to spur on belief in those curious about and resistant to Jesus. In John 6, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I will not lose one of them. He says that the sheep are the ones the Father has given him and no one can snatch them from his hand. So when I'm wandering and I'm wandering and I'm unsure as to whether I'm still one of Christ's own, do you know what helps me? I'm reminded that he's kept me and will still keep me and that nothing can separate me from his love. No matter how much I want his love to be based on my obedience to him, the truth is my salvation and my hope and my intimacy with Jesus are contingent upon his obedience to the Father, his sacrifice as shepherd, and his resurrection as king. Jesus only requires us to believe. He says, if you believe that I am he who the Father has sent, you will be saved. Or a person I like, you will be kept safe. Now, this is not a call to instant and perfect belief. Jesus knows how suffering shapes us and our faith. And it's also not merely an intellectual faith. It's an embodied one. That's the series we're in. God embodied in Jesus' I Am statements. K.J. Ramsey speaks about, I hope I'm pronouncing this word, the vagus nerve in her book called The Lord is My Courage. She shares that this nerve is the longest cranial nerve in our bodies. And it's the highway of our body that recognizes safety and perceives threats. 
So when we find ourselves feeling endangered, it's because this nerve is queuing up these threats and feelings and safety, and it's amplifying these stressors we have to connection with certain people and location. Jesus' voice speaks to us not only by appealing to our minds, but by caring for our bodies. Our nerves are here for a reason. This is not just a disembodied shepherd who reminds you you're kept. He walks with you as you're kept. I know that's a weird thing for some of us. I didn't get into emotional health or any of the ways that God saves us in an embodied way, but it saved me from so much. He cares for our bodies, gently walking with us in our suffering, and he settles our stress. Walter Brueggemann, a well-known biblical scholar, speaks about the forceful translation choice of he makes me lie down in green pastures in Psalm 23. It's actually better translated as he settles me down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He doesn't make you. Like that, that language is not helpful when we think about the gentle shepherd we have. But it takes practice to believe Jesus is walking alongside us when we feel alone and attacked. But we can grow in the joy of knowing his voice when we surrender to what Ramsey calls the courage of believing we're beloved. That's what faith is. It's not this intellectual exercise that gets it right every time. There's so many times I'm doubting Jesus. There's so many times I feel like I care about suffering way more than he does. There's so many times I believe he wouldn't have run in that room. But he has and he does and he will. Jesus showed us that we're beloved so abundantly when he died on the cross for our sins, taking away the punishment we deserve. Another way Jesus' voice is heard is by noticing his care and leading us away from self-sufficiency. One of my favorite rappers has a song where he's talking about his wealth and fame and how he got it all himself. He says, got everything, got everything. I cannot complain, I cannot. I don't even know how much I really made, I forgot. It's a lot. I'll spare you the rest, but this is a mentality. No, listen, this is a mentality that is antithetical to the shepherding heart of Jesus. He has no intention of us making it on our own. That's a myth. His voice is one that calls us to dependence on him where we can, though we might be exhausted and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which means I lack nothing. So we do got everything, but not from what we create ourselves. In Christ, we have everything. We don't have to go alone. We don't have to be self-sufficient. And that's his voice calling us into that dependence. He made himself susceptible to suffering so we can know what kind of shepherd he is. The one who doesn't avoid pain but faces it and rescues those at the end of the rope. This is Christ's voice. So when I'm worried that I've been deceived and don't actually know Christ's voice, that I don't share an intimate relationship with him, I cast my vision on the shepherd who says he can find me in any corner and never lose me. My faith may be weak, it may be swayed, but I somehow over and over again am brought back to the voice of Jesus which says I am his beloved and that he has died for my sins. He is indeed a shepherd being worth being loved by. The third way Jesus relates to us as shepherd is by his heart to include. My third point is Jesus is an inclusive shepherd. The Jews, they've been a persecuted group of people for thousands of years now. So there were justified reasons for their view of God's salvation. 
They've made provisions for other races that wanted to worship the Hebrew God, but there were restrictions placed upon these groups, the Gentiles, anyone who wasn't a Jew, and requirements in order for them to be worshipers of God. Y'all don't need to know what those requirements here, though, are. There's kids here. This made the Jewish faith very homogenous. Practitioners of Judaism were often ethnic Jews. Again, there were exceptions. But Jesus, who is God, flips this culture on its head, and he says, no, 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 no. You've got it all twisted. My heart really is for the nations. He said, I have many sheep who are not of this fold. He was talking about Israel. He said, I have many sheep who are not of this fold. He's shown it many times too. His interaction with the Samaritan woman, which many would have found disgusting because she was a half-breed who didn't really get to get in to things like they did. They didn't have the revelation they got. Um, They would have found this disgusting, but this conversation with her was a revelation that God's sheep Jesus' sheep exist all over the globe. No one can prevent anyone access to God. Not Judaism. And Jesus was lovingly clarifying the misconception to ill-hearted Jews who wanted to kill him. And faithful practitioners of Judaism who were a part of the fold of God. Jesus is not interested in a homogenous church, beloved. Unfortunately, many religions, especially Christianity, they have not shared that conviction. For centuries, Christians have caved to the ideologies of ethnocentrism and racial purity because of passages in the Bible that seem to recognize their race and culture as the one God has chosen. But they just use proof text. You can make anything say what you want. Germans did this when they called Jesus their Aryan hero. And they promoted laws that made interracial marriages illegal because it would warp their German heritage and inheritance as the model of a pure social order. To the Third Reich, this was the kingdom. Racial purity, ethnocentrism. And it was based on a myth. Even in American churches, here we go. (laughs) There's an understanding that we're supposed to let all types of people in, right? But there is an inherent resistance to including the less American folks in the life of the church. It's a manifestation of nationalism. This observation might feel uncalled for, but it would behoove us to ask our friends from different countries and American minorities who have joined churches and ministries that were mainly homogenous, how they were treated and how they felt when it came to their participation in Christian communities. Jesus' desire for our unity doesn't mean we need to all look the same or feel the same about everything. And even doctrinally, and I don't say that lightly, theology and doctrine are very important disciplines to me. So much so, I've spent the last six years of my life trying to make sense of what I believe. But often our devotion to doctrinal fidelity, and hear me out here, can build up an exclusive Christian culture that preemptively disinvites many who didn't grow up Christian and don't know anything about Christian ethics at all. There are many people with different sexual orientations who have not been cared for by the church They've been told and shown that Jesus is not the savior of their sins and will only welcome them in once they've given up a life of rebellion. All the while forgetting what got us in. Us here was trusting in the redemptive work of Jesus. This is why we see many repeat Gandhi sentiment. I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. To be clear, I'm not trying to make Jesus a universalist. I'm just saying he's much more welcoming and loving than we could ever make him out to be. And he is much clearer about his expectations of us to leave sin than we could ever prescribe. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe we're telling people to leave one sin and we just send them into another. We, we think we're so smart and we're like doing that, you know, but sometimes we mess up. Anyway, Jesus works with us as we struggle 
inasmuch as we're listening to his voice and we are known by him, inasmuch as we're listening to his voice and we're known by him, and we have that courage of faith that we're beloved, we're in. You're in. Are you trusting in Jesus or in your morality? Jesus includes and he weeds out, but that's his prerogative. And it's through loving wisdom by which he does so. MLK Martin Luther King, my hero, says, By his cross, Christ has bound all men into an inextricably bond, inextricable bond of brotherhood and stamped on all men the indelible imprint of preciousness. That's good writing. He's a shepherd worth being loved by. The fourth way Jesus relates to us as shepherd is in his victory over death. Jesus is a victorious shepherd. Death haunts us all, and it saddens us to know that real-life heroes who have lost their lives to save many were not able to prevent the deaths of those they saved forever. In reality, they postponed the impending doom of us all. I hate suffering. I hate death. It reveals how finite we are, yes, and it exposes how helpless we are. And if you're a Christian, you believe that death is a result of sin. Through one man's sin, death entered the world. Thankfully, that's not the end of the verse, though. For as much as we value the sacrificial nature of Jesus as our shepherd, I think we also forget that the good news of Jesus is that he didn't just die to atone for our sins. He rose to provide us abundant life, eternal, eternal life. In verses 17 to 18, Jesus says, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. Jesus is the only hero whose death can keep us from dying again. And that is because he takes up his life in the same way that no one takes his life from him because of his voluntary choice to lay his life down. No one could resurrect him. That's his doing. The truth that Jesus got up, I love it, is what makes him trustworthy as our shepherd amidst the times we are lost and afraid he's not the hero we thought he was. He takes up his life and because of this, our life will be taken up with his. This is the promise of the resurrection. It's not just Jesus' body getting up. It's ours too. This is the beauty of that early Sunday morning. It's the promise that death has lost forever. And life will be given to the sheep of Christ. Our doubts, our sins, and our sorrows will one day be reversed when our faith is finally made sight. We may not always feel it. But if we're trusting in Jesus and listening to his voice as he reminds us that we are righteous in him, that his love is our salvation, and that his promise is fellowship with him, yes, today and now, but in eternal bliss forever one day, because of that we can make it here and we can take notes from him. This is why we take the Lord's Supper and celebrate baptism, because the resurrected Lord has a hospitable heart. And he transfers his eternal nature over to us finite beings headed towards death. And when we observe these sacraments, what is hopefully imparted into us are the qualities of Jesus as shepherd. We're not just watching him do this stuff. We become like him. We take our cues from him. And as his love touches our hearts, we can be shepherds to others. I know many under-shepherds 
pastors, religious leaders, political leaders, anybody in a spot that has the resources to save people have taken advantage of the flock through spiritual manipulation, the desire to control others. But we at Mosaic don't have to follow that model. Let's hear from our shepherd. Trust in his saving work, and that is through Jesus, that one man whose righteousness brought life into the world. He is indeed a shepherd worth being loved by. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, asking you to help us see you and love you as shepherd. You lay down your life for us, the vulnerable. As you noticed us being preyed upon, please give us the eyes to see that in others well. We are not saviors, but we are image bearers. The divine, your image is imprinted, the indelible imprint on every human being in this world, Lord. Please give us a desire for many to know you as shepherd. As many want to refute your claims and resist what you've done, let us not worry so much about trying to convince them that we're right. We pray that you reveal yourself to us daily, not just non-believers, but Christians, so that we can encounter your heart and so that we could extend it to the world. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. If you want more information about our church, please visit us online at mosaicnox.org.